Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, delighted to be joined by Anthony Collins, the group CEO at the Top Flight Travel Group. Anthony, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Ray, and delighted to be here. And I'm delighted to have you. Um, typical fashion of the show, we focus on three areas, early influences, challenges, pivotal moments. Two, three minutes getting to know you, and then we move into the good things. So from my research, I can see that you grew up in Dublin. According to your LinkedIn, you went to O'Connell Secondary School, which is in Drumcondra, if I'm correct. Um, what was yeah. life like growing up in terms of any hobbies, standout memories of back in the day when you were growing up? Yeah, well, uh, went to O'Connell's, uh, and I am a dub, uh, so O'Connell's right under the uh, the stands of Crow Park. Uh, so, but we moved around a lot. Uh, so, lived in North Inner City, down near the Five Lamps. Was in Swords, Drada, Blanchardstown, Castlenock. Um, kind of hopped around, uh, mostly following uh, my dad's job. He worked in the travel industry. Uh, so, uh, and kind of growing up from. Pretty much a tenement house in North Inner City to you know a fine house up in Castlenock uh, as his business grew and you know became more successful. You mentioned your dad, his business, the travel industry. For those who are not familiar, do you want to tell people what it is that your dad did? Yeah, so Tony Collins, that he's uh, was a well-known travel agent uh, in the Irish travel industry. So had a travel agency in Dorset Street where actually we lived there for a while above the shop um, and grew that business uh, back in the 80s, bought what, the top flight business, um, which was a brand that had been around since the early 70s and then developed that business to you know where it is today. Slick. Um, I know that when you left secondary school, you went to college, you studied graphic design and you've bounced around from a few different roles that we're going to get into, but what was it? eventually I'll get to uh, top flight travel group and the hospitality industry but what was it that led you towards choosing graphic design uh, I didn't want to work in travel uh, so from you know looking at the family business uh, top flight and Tony Constrap before was a very successful business but it seemed to require a lot of work late hours a lot of travel and I didn't fancy that I thought I was a good artist uh, but it turns out it wasn't good enough to get into study fine art. Uh, so I kind of, what at times seemed like a step down to study graphic design. Uh, and I went to Letterkenny to do that, which was the furthest point from Dublin. So <laughs> it was the, the furthest college I could get away, just get out, try something different. Uh, but as it turns out, I loved it. Uh, you know, I didn't do particularly well in college studying graphic design. Uh, but the skills that I started to learn there, and certainly in my first job, as a graphic designer after I left college, uh, are the fundamentals for how I run business today, and you know how we do things. Is they taught you problem solving. Um, how do you how do you how do you solve problems for different types of companies and different types of sectors? And uh, and that's essentially what we still do today. So I think the the grounding of graphic design was yeah very influential. I, I do want to get into that within your first role at Wonderworks. But before you say that, interesting that you mentioned not wanting to get into that travel industry. I studied tourism marketing and DIT, and I had 
the opportunity to work at two hotels across Dublin, Radisson being one of them. And I remember what got me away from wanting to get into that industry was my uncle saying to me, uh, incredibly long hours and very little money. So leave that industry. And I did, and I have never looked back since. Um, but I'd like to rewind the clock to the year 1991 when you started at Wonderworks. I know on your LinkedIn it says that you were a studio manager. You spent yeah. six years working there with a team of art directors, photographers, illustrators. Uh, the question I have here is, are there one or two skills uh, or perhaps even a behavior that you uh, got to improve, think like bonding and rapport, managing a team uh, while you were here that you carried into future roles? And I ask this question because uh, working for someone else can be a great idea uh, to gain experience before you go out and work for yourself. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So although it seems like working in graphic design is a world apart of, you know, to the hospitality industry we're in now, it, it does a lot of overlaps. So uh, first of all, I, I kind of accidentally found myself in there. I was two years into college and I took a summer job on about 50 quid a week. And I think we got to about November where the guys realized, well, you're not supposed to be back in college like two months ago. And I went, no, no, I'm enjoying it here. <laughs> so, so I got a bit, a bit of a pay increase and stayed on. Uh, but in, in design, and actually it's the advertising industry was very similar. There's a couple of things that, uh, the best idea wins. So very often you'd have two or three people within the organization competing to produce a piece of design or an advertising creative. And then somebody else brings that to the client and presents and the best idea wins out. Um, and if we look at you know where I try to run our business now, it's the same way. Best idea wins, not who knows who, who's been here longest, who's the highest paid. Uh, working to deadlines, was critical. I mean, if you're working on a, an annual report for a bank, uh, they want 100% of it delivered and they need it delivered on a certain day. Um, mm. And you're planning for that months in advance with a four hour slot on a printers in you know, five months time. And everything has to come together at that point. Deadlines are critical. Um, so things like that, standards were very important. Uh, if, you, if you're working on a brand for a piece, a brand, if, say an international, large international brand, you're producing design work for them. It has to be right. It's to a standard. So again, looking at how we run the business today and we're very, very strong on lean management, those principles of, you know, problem solving, the best idea wins, setting standards, being able to work to deadlines were all critical skills that you started to learn when you study design. Uh, but then in the six years I worked, you know, in a design consultancy and then running my own, uh, you really have to be sharp on them. And, and that's carried through to the business today. Interesting. Um, let's move on to the year 2000, uh, your second venture, co-founded directski.com with a good friend. Uh, yeah. First ski company in the world to offer proper online booking of ski holidays, including flights, hotels, transfers, and ski packs. I read that bit from my screen. It was on my eyes. <laughs> Go to the right. Um, with the experience you have to date, taking into account the 13, almost 14 years at Direct Ski and the venture before that and what you're part of now, um, what are some blind spots that you've uh, become aware of as you've scaled companies? When I when I say blind spots, I mean things that can hold back an otherwise healthy business. Things like not onboarding people properly, not building the bench so that if you lose a key hire, you can't don't have someone to replace them with. Not having a yeah. good hiring process, not focusing on lead generation because that's an important aspect of every business. 
um, from your experience of all the companies that you've founded and been involved with, when you look at other businesses, are there common mistakes, blind spots that you see them make time and time again, that if they just ironed out those mistakes or overcame them, their business would be in a much better position? Yeah, you mentioned one of them, uh, recruitment, I think is key. You know, when I talk to anybody in their organization and we've you know, overseas and Dublin and the other places we operate, we're over 250 staff. Wow. Uh, the, when somebody talks about underperformance, look, we're not getting what we want from this person. We say, look, it comes down to one or two things. Either you've mishired or you've mismanaged them. Um, it's, it's, it's the only two things <laughs> that are at play. So, and more often than not, you've mishired. Uh, so rushed recruitment decisions based on good feel. You know, the guy was really good in interview. I really think he'll get on here. And then, you know, down the line, it doesn't work out. So at the moment, we're, we're for example, we're filling a, a finance role down in France. And the question I put back to the managers who are hiring their own staff is, okay, think about people you've had in that role before, people who you thought would work out. And if you could go back in time to when you hired them, what would you ask? And, and assuming that it didn't work out, what would you ask at time of interview? What would you have done differently that would have exposed that? That would have given you the heads up that that wasn't going to work out the way you expected. And it's never around skills and knowledge. Uh, you know, that, that, that usually works out fine. It's usually some sort of trait um, that's within the individual. So we've got a incredibly structured recruitment process. I mean, we don't hire a lot of people uh, permanent people into the business because we're quite stable in terms of the workforce but we hire a lot of seasonal staff uh, to work in our resorts and they go through a very rigorous recruitment process and um, you know we really push down on the traits as well as the skills uh, we test for the things that we think are important and that's worked really really well for us and I think a, a lot of companies don't do it I think a lot of managers just have huge confidence in their own ability to pick out the right person um, and in my experience it's a mistake uh, get a good process, follow it, and then at least if it doesn't work out down the line, you can go back and reflect and go, okay, well, why didn't it work? What did we ask? What did we check on? Where was the blind spot on this? And how can we improve the process next time? You, you, you're dead right. I've recorded about 170 of these this year, and it's a question I commonly ask around hiring. I, I ask it in several different formats, but I've been taken aback by how many people in one way or another, if you boil it down and say that their hiring process is purely based off good feel. Um, and like, there's countless studies, a famous one by Harvard Business Review that says, you know, the cost of a bad hire is five times the annual salary of that person. And that's not a mistake any CEO or any hiring manager wants to make because that's a costly mistake to the business. Um, you mentioned mismanagement as another one mm. of the two potential issues. I mentioned this on a podcast I was recording last night. It's not gone live yet, but a friend of mine who's in a management role got promoted to a management role, a sales management role. Um, he he took on a team and he was finding the team that he took on to be a bit of a challenge. And he wanted to discover the duds and like the C players and the A players and kind of rejig the team from there. And a lot of the, one of the things he noticed after the first month of managing the team was it suffered from what he called learned helplessness, which is where, he would constantly have the C players come to him and ask him, you know, what should, what should they do here? What should they do there? What would he do? What would he do? And what he decided to implement straight away was uh, to tell them, look, pretend I wasn't here. and Come back to me in 45 minutes, work it out, come back to me, and then we can take a look at it. Forcing them to solve the problem themselves or what they would do, and then he could see what 
the way they were thinking and, and improve from there. So when you think of management, when you've been in management positions or when you've been challenged, um, what are one or two tips that you could give to people uh, who might be in a management position um, to get more out of their team? Well, I think the first thing is don't just put strong performers, like a strong salesperson or a strong software developer, assume that they'll make good managers and then yeah. see how they get on. So first, train your managers um, to start with and train them to be managers, which we do. So anybody in the company who has anybody reporting in, we go through a world-class training program. Uh, we work with outside uh, consultants, put together specific training for, for, for our teams. Uh, but what it comes down to is assuming you've got the hiring right, what, and I would ask a coaching question to, you know, to, to a manager, again, if there's performance issues, is it usually comes down to one of, one of four things. And this is, comes from the training is, you know, is there clear direction? Does the person actually know what it is you're expecting them to do? Uh, that's usually the first thing. No, they don't. Or they misunderstood. So get that right. Uh, do they have the competence to do it? Um, are they, they have the opportunity? Are they too busy? Are they, you know, with too many conflicting priorities? Uh, or is there a motivational issue? Uh, and more often than not, it's one of the first three rather than motivation. You know, the person wants to get on, they want to do the job right. Uh, but most, or very often managers, I think, tend to go for the motivation. You know, we're not getting the performance we need. So I'll just reinforce how important it is. I'll let him know how serious it is. You know, his ass is on the line. If he doesn't get this right, you go, this is not a motivational issue. This is something else. He's overworked or he lacks the skills or he's not sure what's supposed to be done. Uh, so what we train the, the staff, the managers to do is slow down, break down the problem. What are you expecting to happen? What's actually happening? What might be causing that? And go talk to the staff member and, you know, teach them coaching skills, which is what you're touching on there. It's, you know, you know, not have you tried this more, you know, what were you thinking of trying? Um, yeah. Well, I was thinking of trying this. Okay. And we have any other ideas how you might even get a better result. Well, I was thinking of this other thing. Okay. Why don't you give that a go? And that builds confidence and mastery of skills. And, but, it, but it's, it's giving the managers, first of all, the direction to go, this is what I expect from you. So when we hire staff and I'll be down in uh, France in two weeks and then in Austria the week after that um, for the induction of our new staff coming in, we set aside about an hour or two of the induction to teach them the management skills we're teaching the managers. So say, this is what we've trained the managers to do. So this is what you should expect from your manager. You should expect them to ask these types of questions. You should expect coaching. You should expect. So if you're not getting that, then your manager isn't doing their job. Mm. I love it. I love it. And you're, you're, you're bang on with everything. It's easy to see you. You've got your head screwed on Anthony. Um, when you look at scaling or growing the business, let's say over the next 12 to 18 months, what are some things that you're focused on? I know that you've got um, probably a lot of repeat customers. So referrals might be a big thing of, of how you can grow. Uh, acquisitions, I know that's part of your thing. I think you said uh, opportunities to continue to grow the business through entering new markets, acquisitions, and partnerships. So can you talk to me about some of the things that you're focused on over the next 12 to 18 months to continue to grow the business? Yeah, I think I probably need to update the LinkedIn. Uh, that was the way we grew. So from 2000 to sort of 2012, um, uh, venture capital backing, Enterprise Ireland support. Uh, we've done a number of acquisitions. Um, but I mean, that came to a halt for us in 2013. We had you know, the double whammy of the financial 
um, crisis, but also the travel industry was in uh, high levels of distress. The, the area we operate in as a tour operator is highly regulated. Um, so we can't operate without a license. Those licenses require bonding to be in place for protecting customer money and that kind of thing. And there was a couple of big failures, most recently Thomas Cook before that, a crowd called XL. Mm. Um, and that put the whole industry in distress and made the regulators just very, very cautious around who they would issue a license to and to what level of trading. And that, so for us, that really stopped what was quite a fast growth trajectory. But we had growth without profit, uh, bottom line margin. Uh, and in a sense, maybe at the time, that was okay. Look, we can build this thing and then maybe somebody will buy it and maybe we'll get some big you know, payout at the end. We were forced to slow down. And actually this year, especially with COVID, you know, we not only haven't been able to operate essentially for a year, but we also weren't able to sell anything. And that forces you to really focus in on, okay, well, what's important in the business? So we'd already slowed down the growth um, in terms of top line sales. And where we are today is looking at something about half of where we would have been back in, say, 2019, but delivering about double the EBITDA. Um, And so... We, we've used our time carefully in lockdown. Uh, so I mentioned earlier, we're, we're, we're really strong in terms of lean um, management techniques. Uh, so we, we started that journey about 10 years ago. Uh, we now have a unique partnership with Toyota in the UK. So Toyota employees directly train all our staff uh, on problem solving um, and standard work and how to go see. Um, the time during lockdown we really just fine-tuned that I and mean, we let go about 40% of the staff uh, out of the company. And that was you know, that was difficult. Uh, it was a decision we made very, very early. I think back in sort of April 2020, people were talking about recovery in the third quarter, fourth quarter of 2020. We looked at it and went, not without a vaccine, it's not. Uh, this, is going to, this, is, this is going to go on longer. So we cut deep and early. Um, and actually, that worked well for us because once we reduced the headcount, it allowed us to reduce the office size and other costs associated with that. And where we are now is we, we dropped product lines that weren't were profitable, but they weren't the most profitable. Um, we simplified the business, focused in on where we can deliver the best customer service. And that's what delivers that repeat business you've, you, you, you touched on. Um, so where we are today, the workforce is a little over half the size it used to be. Our sales are higher at the moment. So actually the top line sales are higher than they were back in 2019. The profits are flowing. It's a nicer business to be in. The customer service scores are good, but it's kind of that 10 years of developing and honing those lean skills and then having this opportunity to say, wouldn't it be, you'd never do it. You'd never decide to do it. But if somebody says, listen, what if you were to shut down the whole business for 12 months, dismantle it all and put it all back together the way it really should be. But now what would that look like? And COVID gave us that opportunity. Uh, you know, you'd never wish it. You'd never, you'd never mm-hmm. take the risk. But, it, but for us, it's been, it's been fantastic. And as we've come out of COVID now, we're stronger. Sales are stronger. Margins are stronger. The staff seem happier. The customers are happier. We had you know, some customers traveling this year, this summer. Um, and it's looking just really uh, positive going forward. But, but again, we're talking about over the next three years, probably bring sales le- levels up to where they would have been in 2018, 2019. So similar yeah. levels of sales but we're looking to probably deliver an EBITDA, uh, so net profit, that would be maybe three, four times the best year historically. Wow. That's, so, 
and that, and that comes back to you know it's back to the people it's back to everything so 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 lessons learned is as we were growing the business and throwing money at it and raising capital realizing you're all the time leaving money on the table you know it's there if you just stop look at what you've got look at your team get the best out of the team it's not about working harder develop them train them you know give them the direction look at your product lines you know are you really optimizing this are you getting the best possible price are you negotiating the best price with your suppliers and if you've you know our lessons travels a fairly tight margin business that if we really focus on each one of those every one of them delivers a couple of percent back to the bottom line um and and it feels as well that you're doing the right thing you're getting the best out of the resources rather than getting half of it you know what you should be getting from the resources but just throw money to keep growing golden i i always look for a snippet or two to the podcast that i can leverage to promote the podcast and i think you've given me a great snippet there you have um when it comes to uh 2021 and all the kind of technology tools we have for you know video conferencing communicating with people whether it's teams or slack or i don't know how you guys communicate mm -hmm. to crms to keep an eye on everything so that it, there's not just all this chaos about the place what's one tool that you use that you could not live without uh well the home working or hybrid working uh we definitely couldn't do that without everything being in the cloud so we were quite lucky uh, in the year leading up to covid we migrated we were already a, on google uh, what's google workspace now called so hangouts and share documents we've migrated our phone system into the cloud we've migrated uh, over to hubspot for crm so that was that was great everybody went home on a friday uh friday the 13th of march 2020 and then we rang them on the weekends and don't come back in on monday and and the, the, the systems just worked everything just worked fine um on a personal level, um, I know you ask a lot of you know a lot of CEOs and about tools. Uh, Evernote, I love Evernote. Mm. Um, you know, we've got a relatively complex business. We talk to a lot of people within the business, and uh, and my brain is only so big, so I outsource the, the storage bit of my brain out to Evernote. Uh, always been a good note keeper, um, but I find that just exceptional to be able to go. I think we spoke about this before. Let me just let me just go check. Uh, so so. That's my, my, my go-to Interesting to see Evernote because I, I, I've chatted and I've built a relationship with the VP of Partnerships at Evernote. Um, and he showed me some of the, because he focuses on partnerships, he showed me some of the uh, templates that they've created in partnership with other companies. So there's a section that I had never discovered until about 12 months ago within Evernote, because I'm an Evernote user as well, where there's templates for, like depending on the role, HR, sales, leaders that are just fantastic so i don't know if you've if you're aware of it but anyone not listening who's not aware of it or anyone who's listening who's not aware of it definitely check out the template section of evernote and it's broken down by job and then job title and there's guaranteed to be a template there that you can use it's easy to edit as well um, yeah absolutely agree yeah, yeah. Uh, coming near the end so two or three more questions for you anthony is what is your personal definition of success what does success mean to you yeah well so 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 if we go back to the beginning and you know the reason i didn't get into the travel business and follow the dad was because i didn't like the look of the travel business he said it was long hours hard work uh, but yet i'm in it uh so in 2000 um i sat down with my dad tony and uh, dermot with my co-founder directski.com and went look you know i'm big into 
at the time was fledging web industry, web design industry. And, and we said, look, this looks like it could be a good match for travel. But if we're going to do this, we're going to get into the travel business. We've got to do it differently. Uh, we've got to do it that people can do the job, you know, with normal work and errors, you know, not be, you know, see the sort of stresses that we're in there and be smart about how we work. Uh, so, you know, when I look and say, well, what, what is success? Um, I think I've helped bring that to the top flight organization. So my company, directc.com, we merged that back in with the family business top flight seven or eight years ago. And bringing that sort of calmness and structure to it so that, you know, people are doing work that they enjoy. They're doing it without excessive pressure. Uh, for me, that's successful. Are you doing work that you enjoy? Are you doing it with people that you enjoy doing it with? Um, and then, you know, for me, being able to, develop people within that and go, you know, it's great the way I've seen that person move on. I saw what they were doing a few years ago. I see what they're doing now, but they've not just moved on in terms of delivering sales or, you know, cost savings or whatever, but they're doing it with work that they seem to enjoy doing. And they're doing it in the, you know, with people that they seem to enjoy that. That for me is, you know, I think that, that's what makes coming to work uh, worthwhile. Mm. If, if that's not there, you know, why bother? Final question for you is, and you're probably aware of the question I'm going to ask, it's around schools. So if you could pick, if you were the final decision maker in adding a mandatory subject to the secondary school curriculum, what would it be and why? I can't understand why they don't train people in problem solving. Uh, their whole primary and secondary education is filling your head with facts. Um, and... You know, and then you spit out and you're faced with something that doesn't match the facts that you learned. And we haven't trained these people how to solve problems. Mm. Um, and it, I, I got it in design college. It's one of the few disciplines I can think of even in, at university level where they teach you problem solving. Uh, but what the structured ways to do it? You can train people how to solve problems. And, and we don't. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Anthony, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. What I'll do is I'll leave links below to both your company website uh top flight travel group and your linkedin account this may have blown over my head but i don't know if i asked the question of rather than me tell the audience what top flight travel group is you can tell them i don't think i did ask it so why don't you take the last like 60 seconds to tell people exactly what top flight travel group is uh we're an irish family-owned travel company uh we specialize in holidays to italy and ski holidays uh, we're a little bit of a dark horse. Uh, so those acquisitions I mentioned means that we've got businesses here in Ireland and the UK. We have a hotel down in France. We've over 100 people working for us in the French Alps. Uh, so we're kind of a full-blown hospitality travel agency tour operator business um, based here in Dublin. I will leave links to your website below. Uh, enjoy you. your trip to France in two weeks. And then a week after that, I believe you said Italy. Uh, Austria. Austria, Austria, <laughs> sorry. Um, but for now, Anthony, we'll leave it there and thanks again for being my guest. Thank you very much. Beautiful morning, beautiful morning, baby.